First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three as we continue to march through first and second Timothy in a series we're calling Entrusted. First Timothy chapter three. And if you would stand, please, in honor of the reading of the words of our God. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. So that's 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. This is what the Apostle Paul said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word to us. We are blessed beyond measure to be meeting in a public room with amplification, with air conditioning, um, but more than that, Lord, with, with freedom and with copies of the Bible before us. And so we thank you for that Lord, we thank you for your word to us. You have not um, started the church and kind of let us take it where we will. You have given us instructions and commands on how we are to go about um, doing church together as the people of God. So Lord, I pray that we would look primarily to your word. Before we look to even our constitution, before we look to tradition, before we look to what feels good or works right, that we would look to your word first. Lord, this morning we especially pray, as we will later, for our deacons and our deaconesses. We thank you um, for them and for their service to us. Lord, this morning I pray that you would invade hearts and that you would um, get into people's minds and that you would, in that way, let this word penetrate deep and that you would do that work. I, I can't do that no matter how eloquent or humorous. Um, Lord, I pray that you would work this morning and that you would change our hearts and that you would continue us in sanctification. And if there be any here that do not know the power of the gospel, that have not been transformed, that are not new creatures, that this morning might be the morning um, that they are saved and that they repent and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, a little while ago, we talked about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And on the Sunday that I was privileged to talk about baptism, I had us doing a little exercise. Some of you may remember this. Having people stand up if they were baptized in certain church traditions or denominations. And across this church, um, there are people from all different kinds of denominational backgrounds and traditions. And that kind of goes uh, the same way with the topic of last week and this week. And that's elders and deacons, or overseers and deacons. And we're talking about deaconesses, and we're going to kind of dive into that and what that looks like and what that means. But different churches have different definitions for these things. So I want to try as much as possible to point out what the Bible has to say about these titles. Um, Many churches um, have gone with what works. They've taken a business model and transferred it to the church. 
Um, they've changed titles of things. They've made up their own. And so we want to we wanna be tethered to God's word that we wouldn't go too far from it as we um, figure out how God wants us to function as a family. Um, this is helpful for our structure. Um, an unstructured family life at home does not go well. Um, it does not lead to peace and it does not lead to unity. And so we want, in the same way in this church, to be as unified and as peaceful as possible. And to do that, we need to check out what God has to say, not what um, man's ideas are. And so we're just going to dive in because last week we got uh, an introduction to this and we covered overseers or elders. Pastor Ron went through the list of qualifications and one of the things that he told us was that what's so remarkable, remarkable about last week's list and this week's list is how unremarkable the list is. Um, in fact, you could go through both last week's list of qualifications for elders and this week's list for qualifications for deacons, and minus the able to teach for elders, you could find every single one of these qualifications um, put on all Christians throughout the New Testament. That every single one of these qualifications is something that we're all called to be besides able to teach. And so this is something that we need to be careful that we don't, we don't err on one side of putting our leaders on too high of a pedestal. Pastor Ron talked about that last week where um, for their sake, we don't want to do that. And for our sake, we don't want to do that. For our own discouragement, I could never be like those leaders. They're so good. We want to be careful in that regard. But we also do want to recognize that God has called out of this body certain people to lead in a position, in an office, um, that actually the members of this church have voted them into. And so we do want to recognize um, those things this morning. And we'll, we'll kind of balance those things out. But if you look at verse 8, I want to look at the first three words. Very important. First word is, is deacon. What is a deacon? What is uh, going on in this word? And you'll, you'll see in your notes, um, I have some, some uh, blanks there because there's a lot of space for you to take some notes here. Um, but we know a lot more about overseers and elders in the New Testament than we do about deacons. Uh, really, the only other place you're going to see in your English Standard Version or your NIV, uh, the word deacon appears in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1, uh, and that's where Paul wrote this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, last week, and the deacons, this week. And, and other than that, we're not told much at all, if anything, about deacons. We are told much more about elders and overseers. In fact, we're going to come back to elders and overseers when we get to chapter 5. So deacons is a little more tricky, a little more mysterious, a little more unknown. For another thing, the elder is, is kind of like a borrowed, modified um, term and, and office taken from Israel. So you go all the way back to Moses and you, you read through the Old Testament and you get up into Jesus' time and you'll see the word elders. Um, towns, each village would have the elders of the town who not only were they generally the older men, but they were the ones with leadership and they, they had responsibilities and they, they led by um, either word or deed or both. And so we, we see that this, it's, it's not that uncommon to, oh yeah, elders, we can do that. But deacons are another thing. There, were, there really were no deacons um, in the Old Testament. Some people have tried to make the, the connection between Levites and priests and deacons, but I just think that's uh, going a little off the rails. In fact, there's elders outside of the Old Testament. There's elders in almost all of life in the Gentile world, world as well. 
but there's not really deacons. And so it seems some of the commentators even said that this is a new thing um, on earth as when God institutes the office of deacon and deaconess that we'll talk about in a minute. Forty years after this letter was written, um, we have a church father traveling um, and we have the documentation that he was traveling along with one of his deacons. So we have, we're pretty early on in the early church, we have evidence, documented evidence, that there was an office of deacon. Um, we'll talk about that as, as well when we get to, to deaconesses. Um, and we can go through church history, and in the first few centuries after the New Testament, we get some pretty delineated duties for deacons. Some churches began to be very uh, list-oriented with this is what deacons do, and this is how they're to do it. And as the church began to... Um, move across northern Africa and into Europe and east into Asia. Um, We had different churches beginning to believe slightly different things and to have different lists and to have different functions for their officers. But we do see evidence of this in the early church. But as the Roman Catholic Church began to consolidate power and began um, to uh, build up its tradition, the office of deacon kind of just fell off. Um, it kind of, it doesn't quite disappear, but it, it loses a lot of its prominence. Um, it loses its distinctness. Um, and some of the duties were maintained. Some of the duties were not maintained. Um, but sometimes they were just done by people in the church with other titles. Um, if you go to an Anglican church, um, you'll have in the Anglican tradition an archdeacon um, who is in charge of many deacons in, in, in an area. And so um, as uh, church history went on, the, the idea of deacon has gone up in popularity. It's gone down in popularity. It's completely been lost in some traditions, and it's stuck around, been redefined. And so we want to bring some clarity to that this morning. Here, here's what they are. They're simply servants. They're simply servants. Deacons are servants. That's what the word means. Um, It means, it can mean messenger, it can mean helper, it can mean minister, it can mean servant. But it's the Greek word diakonos. So we just take it straight from the Greek and bring it in English, deacon. And it's used throughout the New Testament in uh, generic terms to serve. Um, And so we we see it um, many places. Jesus even uses it about himself. In Mark 10.45, we see a notable example. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He uses the verb form. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came to deacon. Um, he did not come to be deaconed. He came to deacon. And we see that throughout the New Testament, that there is use of this word. And so simply, a deacon is a servant. And so when we go through the New Testament, um, we have to distinguish between where the word is just used in a generic sense of someone who serves and where it is used as an office, where it is used to distinguish somebody um, having a certain role, having certain qualifications inside of the church. Um, Sometimes the ministries of elders and deacons may overlap. And and if you look at the, uh, the list of qualifications, which we're about to do, you'll see some parallels. In fact, you'll see some very exact uh, parallels. And you'll see this uh, as well if you go to to Titus chapter 1 and look at the qualifications for overseers and elders there. So sometimes there may be some ministries that overlap and different churches may do things um, a little bit differently. Um, For example, the Baptist church that I grew up in, uh, and maybe many of you did, had one elder. And that was generally the senior pastor. And then he was surrounded by a board of deacons. And the deacons actually did kind of a 
elder slash deacon sort of role that kind of combined the two. Um, that is not uh, what our church believes. If you look at our constitution, that we would uh, we aim to have a plurality of elders and a plurality of deacons, and we separate out their duties. But as far as how what ministries they're involved in, we we don't necessarily limit that. Um, as much. So one example may have been when, when Jim Hall and Terry Hall were co-teaching a Sunday school class. Um, Jim was serving on the elder board, Terry was serving on the deacon board, and there is an overlap in that they're, sh- they're sharing teaching responsibilities um, in that class. However, Jim's elder responsibilities and Terry's deacon responsibilities would differ somewhat. And so that's a little bit of how um, that might play itself out here at Village. Now something else we need to look at before we go into the list, is um, Acts chapter 6. So go to Acts chapter 6, because there is great debate um, over what's happening in Acts chapter 6 and whether or not these are deacons. Um, There's a lot of talk about this. Um, Some of the authors I read just assumed they were deacons. Some um, argued that they weren't deacons. But let's take a look at Acts chapter 6, and we'll look at the first seven verses. I'm going to read those. Acts 6 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what you have here is, is the apostles who are a set-apart group. They have a distinct role. Um, they're seen as the twelve um, by the early church. They are uh, the ones that spent time with Jesus. They were commissioned by Jesus to be apostles. And here there becomes a, an issue in the church, and so they need to appoint other people to take care of this issue. Now the word deacon is not mentioned uh, I hope you noticed that. There was no mention of the word deacon. Um, the verb form is used um, in verse 2 when it says Sir, to serve tables. Um, that's, that's the word for, for deacon. Uh, and so some have said, well, this is a special class. Notice that how many of them are there? There's seven. Okay, we know that's, a, that's an important number in the, in the Bible. Um, and so some traditions have kept their um, deacons always at seven because of Acts chapter six. In fact, the, uh, the church in Rome early on, when it grew and grew and grew, had 40 plus overseers or bishops, uh, but it only kept seven deacons because there were seven deacons, they said, in Acts six. So we must admit there's no um, word for deacon here. It's very early on in the church's life. And so some have called these proto-deacons. They're the first deacons. They're kind of the the prototype for what later would become the office of deacon. And I I think that that might be a good way to look at this. Because you have to remember in that time, there's no social security. Uh, There's no societal safety net. There's no Medicare set up. So the problem begins among the widows. Those who need outside support. They need someone to support them. Um, 
And so there became, there was a dispute. The unity of the, of the church is split. There's a complaint. And some widows are, are said to be being neglected. So that, that's the need. Notice how the 12, verse 2, the apostles um, take care of business. They don't just meet in a smoke-filled room and kind of send out the little guy standing outside the door to go do their bidding. What do they do? They gather the church together. They bring the church to a business meeting, as it were, and they, they present the issue. And it's very interesting um, how they do it. Verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, that can sound fairly arrogant if taken out of context. Um, and that can sound something like this. Oh, we don't do that. We, we, we do this thing over here. But notice um, what, they're, what they're saying. They don't want to give up preaching the word of God. And then move down um, to verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What was happening? Well, there was a need for lifting of management burdens. The, the apostles were called to do this set of things, to teach, preach, baptize, disciple. And their time was probably pretty full. And now a dispute arose. And what they saw was, this is, an, this is something that needs to be dealt with in the body of Christ. We don't have the time to adequately do what God has called us to do and to adequately take care of the problem. Therefore, we need to call some more men to do this. And notice the qualifications of these men. Uh, they are, verse 3, to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And then it says that the apostles will appoint them. And when the whole gathering was pleased with it, verse 5, they, they, the gathering, the congregation chose the men. They looked at the men around them and said, these men are qualified to do this work. And so if we can see in Acts 6, kind of the very first inkling of what deacons might do once the church is more established and begins to spread and begins to grow, what we see is the deacons doing a work that allows God's word to continue to go forth. So there's, there's not a conflict here. What's happening is an enhancement of the gospel. In fact, look at verse 7. What happened because these seven did their jobs? The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Because these seven men stepped into this, which is waiting tables. They became waiters, became servers. Um, they began to help with the distribution of the widows. Because they were willing to step in and do that, the apostles were able to do what God had called them to do, to preach the gospel and to disciple those in Jerusalem and soon after around. And so that kind of helps us get a, maybe a fuller view of perhaps what the deacon is. Um, and so as we move down in our notes, I have there a deacon must, and we get into um, the list. But lists are things that some of us don't like and some of us really do like. So some of us don't like it and we should have a little more affinity for it. And some of us like them too much um, and we need to calm down a little bit. So before, before we dive into um, the list, it's very important. The deacon board is not a place to acquire these things. It is not, well, this, this guy really could do a great job and we think he could become like this if he came on the board. Um, that, that's, that's not the issue. The qualifications are, 
if someone is like this, if their life manifests these qualities, then they can serve um, as a deacon. Um, so men qualified for the office of deacon will already possess these attributes. Now, not 100% and not holy, and it doesn't mean they're done working on those things, and some may have a, a greater grasp on these qualifications, and some may have a lesser grasp on these, but in general, these qualifications are meant to weed out those who are qualified and those who aren't, dot, 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 yet. And that's the desire here, is to see men and women raised up in the congregation to serve. We also need to be careful that we don't see the deacon board as kind of like the junior varsity, right? Kind of like the breeding ground for future elders. Now that, that may actually happen. John Calvin said that sometimes the deacons are kind of the nursery for um, elders. I don't know how his deacons thought about that when he called them the nursery, but um, it kind of can become that perhaps. But it is not necessarily a stepping stone. Um, it, it is a, a very important in its own right um, group of men that have a job to do. Um, and so it is, not, it is not less of a man who serves on a deacon board for 30 years and never serves on the elder board. That, that's not the case. Um, it is not meant to say, these are the elders and these are the deacons. That that's not what's going on here. Says, these are the elders. These are the men that do these things. These are the deacons. These are the men that do these things. And as we get to deaconesses, these are the women who are called to do these things. Um, they're separate and they are all working um, for the church. So let's dive into this list. The first thing that we see is that a deacon must be dignified. A deacon must be dignified. And this is an important word. It's the same as the word in chapter 2, verse 2, when Paul says to pray for leaders so that we may live a peaceable life and we may be dignified. So once again, right at the beginning, this is not just a deacon thing. Um, this is something that we all should strive to. You're like, well, I'm not a deacon. I guess I don't have to be dignified. <laughs> That's not how we look at this list. Um, this is a qualification. Those who are qualified to become deacons are dignified. I think the King James says grave. So there's a sense of weight, of seriousness to this, dignified. Um, and we kind of know what that means. When we meet someone who has a, the sense of dignity about them, um, they're serious. That doesn't mean they're never funny, but, but they have a serious weight where they, they understand the issues going on around them and they respond rightfully. Uh, next one, B, not to be double-tongued. Uh, the great Puritan commentator Matthew Henry said it well. He said, a, a double tongue comes from a dub, double heart. Um, so if you have the NIV, I believe it says sincere. And what the word um, really means is someone who's not a hypocrite, someone who doesn't exaggerate or flatter in order to make something happen, um, so that they're saying something in order to get something else to occur. Uh, it also may be related to the, the way we talk about speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Um, that, that's kind of the issue here. Can, can this man um, speak his word and his word be his bond? Will he stick to what he says? Will he say what he means? <laughs> and will he mean what he says? Deacon must, be, must not be double-tongued. Uh, C, he must not be under the influence. He must not be under the influence. Um, specifically, the ESV says, not addicted to much wine. Um, and immediately... We go, what does much mean? <laughs> the point here is a point that, that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians and Romans is to say, are you controlled by it? 
the word addicted here means like I come under the control of something else. And so I think that we could expand that. Um, the, the deacon cannot allow alcohol or any other substance to control him. Um, he must have the self-control to not be under the influence. D, a deacon must not be greedy for money. Uh, I think the King James is my favorite uh, phrase in the King James for this passage is he's not greedy of filthy lucre. <laughs> he's not greedy of filthy lucre, which uh, one of the commentators said that probably gets to the heart of the Greek word a little better than not greedy for money. The point is um, he doesn't acquire money or look to acquire money in a shameful way, um, in an underhanded way, in, in a shady kind of way. He's not greedy for money. And that becomes important, especially in a church like ours that has determined that the deacons are to keep the purse. Um, They are in charge of our finances. Um, And so not only is there on on one end a a temptation to maybe extortion or to stealing money, um, but there's also this thing sometimes about being around money is wanting more of it and becoming greedy um, for money in ways that are not uh, the way that God has made us to make money. And so th- this is not, this is not say that a, that a deacon cannot be one of the wealthiest men in the church because it doesn't take wealth to be greedy. <laughs> um, poor and rich alike are greedy. And so the deacon must not be greedy. He must keep away from wanting money in a shameful or underhanded way. When you get to verse 9, um, the deacon must unashamedly hold to the faith. The deacon must unashamedly hold to the faith. And I think this is really, really important because sometimes we get this picture of the elders are kind of like in their study, surrounded by piles of books, and then they get down on their knees and they have calluses because they, they pray. But the deacons, they just kind of like sweep things and kind of like fix things. And that, that's all kind of all they do. Um, I think that, that we got to stay away from falling into that trap because here, uh, a requirement for a deacon is that he must hold, as the verse says, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And the clear conscience is a theme throughout First Timothy because Paul says that the false teachers in Ephesus had seared their consciences. So the deacon must be someone who has a clear conscience. There's nothing that he can see in his own life um, that would keep him from becoming a deacon. There's nothing in his own life that would keep him from saying, this is what I believe about the faith. And the word mystery in the ESV, or deep truths in the NIV, um, is it, not mystery in the way that we think of it. It's not when you go to the bookstore and you go to the mystery section. Um, that's not what it's talking about. Mystery in the New Testament is something that was covered up, um, was dark, and now it has been enlightened, now has been revealed. And so it's, a, it's almost a former mystery. And so in the New Testament, Paul especially uses this phrase to say, look, we, did no, we didn't really have much of a clue. We didn't see it that the Gentiles were going to be included in this whole thing. The Gentiles were going to be brought in. And he makes that point very clearly in the book of Galatians. Now, it's also used of Jesus himself in Colossians, which we studied a couple years ago, that Christ is at the center of this mystery. Um, again, it's not, it's not something that we're trying to, like a code we're trying to crack. Um, it's a code that God cracked for us, and we can now see this mystery, these truths that have been revealed. And so the deacon must hold to these things. He must hold the mystery of the faith. He must cling to it. The most important thing about a deacon is not what he can do with his hands or his mind. 
the most important thing about a deacon is does he hold to the truths of the faith? Does he hold to the truths of the faith? Well, at the, uh, in verse 10, we move to letter F. He must be tested. He must be tested. We had an interesting conversation about this at our community group a few weeks ago. Um, and, and I was interested in, in reading about this. And some churches have a probationary period or they have a literal test um, in which you test someone before they become a deacon. The word here is examine. And it's, it's more of the idea of observing someone's life over time. Um, and so do we test our deacons at Village Bible Church? Well, we don't, we don't hand them a number two pencil um, and a Scantron. Um, and we don't really have a probationary period. But um, no one is going to, Lord willing, enter the deacon board at Village Bible Church without being observed, without being seen. And the final arbiter is that, uh, of that is the members at the, at the meeting when we vote. Um, and so if the members of the church see that this man is untested, um, then they should not vote um, for that man because he is to be tested. He's to be observed. And once he has been, verse 10, then he can serve as a deacon if he's proven himself to be blameless. So I especially speak to the, the younger men, men about my age or younger. Blameless does not mean you've never done anything wrong. Blameless doesn't mean people in the church can't remember you ever doing anything wrong. Blameless means at this point in your life, you have, you have followed the Lord in a way that means no one has anything against you that they can kind of bring against you. Um, that they can't blame you um, for the way you're living your life, a pattern of living. Um, do we kind of go off the handle sometimes? Do we say the wrong things to our kids? Do we say the wrong things to our kids in front of people at church? Do we do, we do these kinds of things? Yes, we fall. Um, but the question is how we get back up and how we, our pattern of life is. So I can observe, or someone, let's just use me. Someone could observe me for 20 minutes on a bad day and I'd be, I'd be toast, right? How many of you would be there, right? But the, the goal here is to observe over a longer period of time to test and to see what this man is like. He, is he qualified to be a deacon? Well, letter G Skip down to verse 12. He must be a faithful husband. And this is exactly the same wording as what's required for an overseer or an elder that we studied last week. He's to be a one-woman man. Um, And we could get into a lot of different scenarios with divorce here that do play into some things and how we interpret this and how we look at it. But this does not mean that a single or a widowed or a childless man cannot serve um, on the deacon board because it goes on to talk about children next. Um, what it's meaning is even a single man can be a one-woman man. He doesn't know who the woman is yet. Okay? But being a one-woman man is being, I am a man who is defined by being devoted to one woman. Um, and she is the only woman that I'm devoted to. And in the, in the early church, this may have played itself out in polygamy as well. In fact, this happens in Africa all the time. Um, the gospel goes into villages where men have two, three, four, seven wives. And the question now becomes, how, does, how do these men serve in the church that's just exploding with growth here in this community? And these things really have to be um, thought through, and, and it's not simple in those cases. But it's very important that the deacon be a one-woman man. Lastly, H, he must lead his home well. 
he must lead his home well. Um, Very similar to the wording again for elders from last week. Uh, It says in verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. The deacon is to manage the children and their own households well. And and this is really important as well to know that that the word here for children and the, the kind of the sphere that's meant here is for children living at home. And, and that is what, the, what is going on here. So we can talk about different scenarios of what happens when an older man has a 40-year-old son who's turned away from the Lord. Does that disqualify him? Um, I don't think so. Um, and I think that would be the position of, of our elder board um, in looking at these things and how this works itself out. But the deacon must be able to manage his own home. And it's, the point is made with elders. If he can't manage his home, how is he going to manage the church? How's he going to lead this body of believers well? So the deacon must lead his home well. Now we're going to backtrack back to verse 11 because this is where a little bit of controversy um, lies. Um, oh, I forgot to read what our Constitution says. Well, you have it there. We'll move into the office of deaconess um, and I'll read this one. Our, our Constitution says the office of deaconess is spiritual in nature. This office is entrusted with both the spiritual and temporal welfare of the church. Earlier I was reading that and I, I, I read warfare. I was like, whoa, really? Is that what it says? The deaconesses are part of the warfare? But it's welfare of the church. The question in this passage, and depending on what version of the Bible you have, is are these women or wives or deaconesses? What's going on here? Because in Greek, this is very interesting, the word for both man and husband and for um, woman and wife, they're the same word. Like, so if, if I say Amy is my wife, I'm using the same word that says Amy is my woman. It's, there's, there's, there's not a separate word for woman and wife. So when we get to this in the Greek, it just says the women. Which, which ones? Who's this talking about? And so depending on the version that you have, it may say like the ESV, their wives. It may say the women, or it may get a little more creative there. Um, the word in Greek is not there, and the ESV has made an interpretation there that I don't think is, is quite warranted. Um, but it says literally, the women, or likewise the women. And what's very interesting um, to me is that there are arguments on both sides. And so the arguments for these are actually wives of the deacons, and there's like deacons' wives requirements, um, is that it's in the middle of the deacon qualifications. Right? So if you read verse 10, we're talking about deacons. You read verse 11, we're talking about women. You go to verse 12, and we're back to deacons. So the argument that these are, these are deacons' wives and that deacons' wives have um, a requirement and a qualification is made from that and a few other arguments. But I really think that what's more um, in line here is that these are deaconesses, although the word didn't exist yet, but these are, these are women deacons. These are female deacons covered in verse 11. Um, one of the reasons why um, is because there's no instructions for wives of overseers. Last week, we didn't, there was no mention of requirements or qualifications for wives of elders. Um, second, I think this is probably the most um, convincing to me, is notice the wording. Look at verse 11. Their wives likewise, likewise must be dignified. Go to verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified. Um, go to verse 2. An overseer must be. It's the same phrasing that's used. It seems like there's three distinct phrases for three distinct groups. Um, it, it's very interesting as well that uh, Romans 16.1, talks, Paul talks about a woman named Phoebe in a church um, 
nearby and calls her a servant. The word is deacon. And so there's a lot of debate over whether or not that, that shows that she's a female deacon. And it very well may because there was no Greek word, there was no word deaconess. It, it didn't exist. The church actually made it up um, later on in the second century. But there was no, there was no possibility, it didn't, there was no vocabulary that meant deaconess. They couldn't just grab it out of the dictionary. It didn't exist. And so Paul, the only way Paul could say this is by saying a woman or a female deacon. We do know from about 115 AD, which is about 50 years after this letter was written, um, we hear in the writing um, of, uh, of a, a Greek writer that there are two deaconesses serving in a church in the province of Bithynia in Asia Minor. So we actually know that only 50 years later, there are deaconesses um, serving uh, in the church. So our church has taken the position um, that deaconess is a separate office. And you'll see that played out in our church constitution and at our business meetings. Well, there are also um, some requirements, qualifications for deaconesses. And you'll see that there are deaconess must, A, be dignified. Same exact word. Same exact word is used for deacon in verse 8. Again, must be serious. A serious-minded, grave person who can rise to the serious um, issues or problems that are faced in the church. B, a deaconess must not slander. This word in Greek is diabolos. Diablo. Devil. (laughs) So literally it says... A deaconess must not be a devil, or must not verb devil. Uh, that, the word here is, the, the deaconess must not slander. That's what the word devil means. Satan is a slanderer. Satan is an accuser. Look at you, you sinner. Look at what you did. He slanders us. He says things that are partially true and partially false about us, about God, like he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so a, a deaconess must not slander. Um, she must not say things behind people's backs. She must not say things that are false or that could be construed as false or as um, untrue or partially true about somebody else. See, a deaconess must be sober-minded. A deaconess must be sober-minded. Same, um, same requirement of an overseer from earlier on in chapter 3. She is, again, has the connotation of serious, someone who thinks through things, someone who is presented with a situation and doesn't just act impulsively right away, to, to be sober-minded. This also, again, has the connotation of not drinking, not, uh, not allowing other things to affect um, her sober-mindedness. And lastly, a deaconess must be faithful in all things. <laughs> It's kind of a catch-all phrase. A deaconess must be faithful in all things. This means she's someone who's fully trustworthy. She's faithful. When you give her something to do, you know she'll do it. You trust her to do it. And so these are the four qualifications of a deaconess. And some of the commentators said the way that the passage is structured, it very well may be that the deaconesses are placed in verse 11 because the things that are before for deacons, apply to them as well. And it, it follows deacons, talks about being married to their wives because a deaconess would not have a wife. And so that very well, 8 through 10, could also apply. So all the things we talked about for deacons before verse 12 very well might apply to a deaconess. Well, we'll move um, on now to verse 13. And, and you have in your notes here, a job well done. This can be a little bit daunting to read that list. Anybody feel a little lacking when you read that list? 
boy, am I dignified? Am I this? Am I, ooh, I don't, oh, man, I'm not really that. Don't ask my wife. Don't ask my kids. <laughs> right? This can be daunting. And it can discourage men and women in this church from serving on these boards. And I want to say that is not the reason for Paul writing this, and it is not the reason for preaching through the list so thoroughly. There is a promise here at the end. Paul de- doesn't just say, you got to be this. He says, you got to be this. And look what happens. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons, gain. You get something. There's a reward. They gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul ends with a note of encouragement and we ought to take this as an example. Um, When we are giving qualifications to somebody for something or giving instructions, do we just end it with, you got to do this? Is there ever any reward promised or encouragement at the end of how we do things? I'm, I'm, I'm reminded that that's a good technique, a good way of communicating. And Paul doesn't do it just to kind of like make people want to be a deacon or a deaconess, but, but Paul ends here saying, if you do this well, it is good for you. So we assume it's supposed to be good for the church because of all these qualifications, but it's also good for the deacon and the deaconess. Good standing literally means a step. So it was a word for a step, that you would step up. And so it's not meaning that they'd be more prominent. Look at the deacon. Um, That's not the point. The point is that they will ascend to a good reputation. That a good reputation awaits those who serve well as deacons. They gain a good standing. And I think this means amongst the people that they are around. It's such a helpful promise. So good. And then also we see that assurance or confidence is promised. And see, this is how it works. If we serve in the strength that God provides, we're strengthened. See that? So if we serve others in the strength that God provides to us, we ourselves are strengthened. And, and so the, the act of serving on, a, on the deacon or deaconess board, if done well, there's a promise of great reward. So, so maybe, I don't know who's here this morning, who's not here, but maybe you're a visitor or fairly new to this church and you wonder what in the world is all this talk about? Deacon is kind of a weird name. Anyway, what's going on? Well, ultimately, this is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to talk about next week in the sermon. In fact, Paul leads right into it from this. And it's really important to see that, that the offices of the church are meant to point to Jesus. They're not ends in themselves. Uh, Yes, I've achieved deaconhood. (laughs) I'm an elder. Yay! What's the point? The point is to build up the church, which is the bride of Christ. And so we want to understand that that, that these offices, particularly deacon and deaconess, are meant to enhance the gospel message. So that deacons and deaconesses, those who are presently working on those boards, if you do your job well, you enhance the gospel going forward at Village Bible Church. And that is a, a, an eternally good thing. And we long for that to happen here. Well, uh, as we end, I just want to invite the deacons and the deaconesses up on stage with me really quick. I want you to see who they are, and I want to pray for them as Pastor Ron prayed for the elders last week. So um, if you're currently serving on the deacon board or the deaconess board, please make your way up, and I'm going to read the names um, just in case there are some who are not here. Um, the deacon board consists of Jacob Ailes, 
John Bessie, Chuck Davis, Danny Kumamoto, John Levy, Richard Lopez, and Joe Zuniga. And Tom Coxon, as virtue of being treasurer, also serves as a deacon. Our deaconesses are Lorraine Allen, Kim Bessie, Joanne Hall, Johanna Levy, Blanca Lopez, Terry Morris, Michelle Noss, and Amanda Peters. And some of you are here, and we're glad um, that you're here. And so what we want to do is recognize that God has called you and that this church has voted for you to be here. They have approved of you being in this position. And we just want to, to pray um, that the deacons and deaconesses of this church um, who volunteer lots of extra time um, for meetings and to send flowers and to fix things and to tell other people to fix things and to meet and to do all these things, to take care of the facilities, to take care of the kitchen, to take care of those in the hospital, um, that, that they would do so well. And so I just want to pray for you and thank you um, for your service to our church. So why don't, we, why don't we pray as a church for our deacons and deaconesses. Father, thank you for what you have done here. Um, look at how good you are to us. We are so amazed um, that you would provide amongst um, these people um, some who would, who would lead us in, in various ways. And Lord, we thank you for our deacons and our deaconesses. We pray um, for John Bessie, uh, the chair of our deacon board, and for Lorraine Allen, the chair of a deaconess board, as they lead these boards. Lord, we pray that you would enable them to do um, their jobs well, to, to take their responsibilities seriously. Lord, we thank you for their willingness to serve, to do things that, that often nobody notices or ever will notice. But Lord, we know that you notice, and we know that you give a reward, and you give um, confidence and assurance in the faith to those who serve well as deacons and deaconesses. Lord, I pray that among the people of this church that you would raise up more, more who are qualified to be deacons and deaconesses, and as we studied last week, more elders. And Lord, we pray that we would, um, that we would lead this church well, and Lord, that you would endow these people with power from your spirit to do what you've called them to do. We thank you for them, and we pray that we would um, recognize them, appreciate them, and thank them for what they do. Lord, thank you for what you're doing at Village, and we pray that you'd be with us now as we go into the Sunday School Hour. In Jesus' name, amen.